And for this portion of WGTD's morning show, I am delighted to be sitting across two gentlemen who have been frequent guests on the morning show, uh, both part of the music faculty of the University of Wisconsin Parkside, our neighbors to the north. Uh, I'm speaking today with uh, Dr. James Kinchin, who is director of choral activities at uh, the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And Russ Johnson, I forget, are you a doctor? I am not a doctor. <laughs> no, I'm I not a doctor. That title. I'm not a doctor either. I get mistakenly called Doctor Berg sometimes, but yes. So we're we're masters at what yes, we do. However, exactly. Right. So uh, Russ Johnson, who heads up the uh, jazz studies program at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, and it's not too often. In fact, this may be the very first occasion that uh, I've ever seen the two of you sitting side by side, certainly in the WGTD studios, because it's probably not all that frequent that the two of you are directly collaborating in the way that you are with these performances that are coming up at the University of Wisconsin Parkside, uh, involving a really extraordinary work that will feature the combined forces of the choirs at Parkside and Parkside's renowned jazz ensemble. So, first of all, we welcome both of you back to the morning show. Thank you, Greg. It's great to be here. Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks good, for having us. Good to have you here. Uh, Russ, the last time we talked was uh, just ahead of Jazz Week, and I trust that everybody was able to get to town and that everything went as as you planned. It, it was... It, it, I, I think most of them are successful, but I think this may have been the most successful. It was very well attended, um, and the response from both the students and the general public, including, uh, yeah, the general public, the members of the Kenosha area, Racine area, were incredibly enthusiastic. So Fantastic. it was great. Yeah, so yeah. glad to hear that. That's absolutely great. And I don't remember, Dr. Kinchin, when's the last time we talked on the morning show? I know it's not been that long ago. Well, it's not been uh, been that long ago, uh, but but not not this semester. Uh, but as we made our our run up to performances in the, the you know the past semester we've spoken yes absolutely so tell us about this uh, collaboration that uh, is about to take place or I mean is taking place I suspect that collaboration has been uh, the the subject of all kinds of time and energy leading up to now but yes. talk about these two concerts that are coming up in the very very near future. Well, the, the, the featured work is the Abyssinian Mass by Wynton Marsalis, and most people uh, recognize that name. He's one of the great musical geniuses of our time, and uh, he's also artistic and managing director of Jazz at Lincoln Center, uh, and that has him you know, doing recordings, doing concerts there in residency, doing tours, and all of those kinds of things. Uh, and uh, so this, this Mass is the product of the 200th anniversary celebration of Abyssinian Baptist Church, uh, which is a, a core institution in, in Harlem. Huh. And, uh, and the 200th anniversary, uh, go, you know, because I, that was, it was written, composed, commissioned and composed in 2008. So it was 1808 <laughs> when this church had its beginnings. Uh, it, it, it came out of protest. Uh, black parishioners were not being accorded dignity and equity in the worship at First Baptist Church and they walked out in protest. They happened to have been largely a group of sailors from Ethiopia. Wow. Uh, and, and so they founded the church, and the church was named Abyssinian, which, of course, Abyssinia is an old name for Ethiopia. Ah, okay. Uh, and and it, uh, it, uh, it grew and it uh, became, it flourished, and by, we, by the time we get to the 20th century, it's also welcoming people 
from the Great Migration who are moving to New York. Uh, it is anchoring in many ways the Harlem Renaissance, mm. and it produces this young pastor, then young pastor, by the name of Adam Clayton Powell Jr., who goes on to serve four terms in the Congress and becomes one of the most powerful congressmen, very outspoken. Um, and so it's got all of that rich history. And to celebrate that history, the, the pastor at that time, uh, uh, Dr. Calvin O. Butts, decided that what better way to do it than to commission Marcellus to write this mass. And this mass was premiered in 2008, and it's, it's become a staple. So I'm so delighted that, that Russ... Uh, liked it as well and and we both because we've been talking about collaboration you know well before that and so this uh then this mass becomes sort of the instrument for us making music together his forces who to and he does such an incredible job uh, an incredible job with with every aspect uh, of his artistic and his teaching work and uh, and my my singer is coming together to, mm. to do this fantastic yeah. it just sounds great before we talk about the collaboration russ would be great for us to hear your take on Mr. Marcellus from one jazz trumpeter to another, uh, just in general, his legacy, and then uh, what you can tell us about him as as a composer. Sure. Um, his legacy is yet to be defined. He's still incredibly active in, in, in composing and performing uh, at an incredibly high level. Uh, 24 7 365 he's somebody that is deeply deeply committed to the music both in its origins and its history and in pushing the music forward today um he's i mean i think he's a couple years older than me but I, we kind of came up around the same time and i remember hearing his name mm, yeah. <laughs> um you know i was he, like i said i think he's a maybe two or three years older than I am. And I just remember hearing about him. And I, and I went to see his band with his brother Branford in Milwaukee. And it was in s- some hotel ballroom in Milwaukee in 1986 or seven when they were first kind of bursting out of the scene. And I just remember my jaw dropping at his, his musicianship. Mm. Um, yeah, and, and, he's, and he really is, is the person who created the Jazz at Lincoln Center. He program, which is um, the only program of its kind in the United States. Um, in Europe, often there are state, city, government, if you will, sponsored um, performing organizations. And this one is especially unique for jazz. And Winton has a ton of clout. He's an incredible com- Pulitzer Prize winning composer. I mean, he's done done it all. Um, and and so he, had, he has tremendous clout, both um, in the jazz world, he's written orchestral music. He has he has um, yeah incredible clout there as well. So he was like the perfect person to, to to really create jazz at Lincoln Center, and it is an organization. It's a big band, a regularly a fifteen seventeen piece big band that is a full time jazz orchestra. Hmm. And they 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 have smaller groups that go out. They have the the regular large ensemble, and sometimes they add to that. Um, and the, and it's. I, I think undoubtedly the most important organization in the United States hmm. as far as pushing the music, giving the music opportunity to be heard in an incredible hall. Um, and, and yeah, really giving the, uh, an opportunity for, for the general public to go hear incredible artists. It's, it's almost impossible for a big band. I mean, this is not the 1920s and 30s. There are very few working big bands. And most of them, the musicians are playing for very low fees, 
and they're doing it because they love the music. And with, with Lincoln Center, it's a full-time position that is paid well because Winton has procured endowments and grants mm. um, and with, with the help of the Lincoln Center you know, uh, forces to really have this, this, this band that's out on the road. And they, they, as Dr. Kinchin said, they're touring all the time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, he's, he's, Winton is an incredible musician, incredible uh, composer, uh, one of the important trumpet players or jazz musicians of, of the past 50 years for sure. Right. And I think in all of that, that you just saw, said, which is all true, I'm, I don't know, don't remember if you actually said that for quite some time, he was a superb classical trumpeter too. And mm. we have probably... 10 or 12 of his recordings on the shelves here. Uh, and I mean, I know at some point he made the decision to relinquish that part of his performance life, but I always admired that about him, that he had both feet in both of those worlds and was superb in both of them. Uh, yes, world class in both. And has recorded basically all of the major trumpet liter- classical trumpet literature um, at an extremely high level. <laughs> I should think that that maybe makes a difference in terms of when it comes then to, for instance, composing in general, and and in particular composing something like this. It probably doesn't hurt for him to have some so-called classical chops in terms of putting something like this together. Because, I mean, if you're going to write something for you know, choral forces like yours... Uh, you need to have at least some idea about kind of what 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 your world is like, uh, or or is this more of a jazz work just right to its very core? Well, I, you know, I I would say that that in a, in a real sense, stylistically, it's it's anchored in jazz. The choral piece of it is more sort of a hybrid, and mm. I, I will explain that. Uh, that there are some moments where where we're singing and we're I'm like guys this is this is about as jazz as it gets, and then there are other moments where it's very gospel in style, oh. and and that's his way of doing something that will draw in going back to the 200 uh, 2008 uh, celebration 2008 celebration that will draw in the the singers and so forth of the Abyssinian Church and have them be a part of that. Of that uh, composition, um, and and he does all of that masterfully. And you're absolutely correct to be trained so that he's uh, really sort of mastering all of those expressive elements, and to be able to do those in ways that will communicate to anybody, not just the people who did the premiere and the people who toured with it, but to people like us who get the music in <laughs> hand and go, okay, say so what's this and what's this, right? Uh, and to do that, uh, you know, so well. That's that's. That's amazing. So, is this a mass? I mean, a Kyrie, Gloria, Credo kind of mass, or or is there that term used more loosely here? It's loose. It's used more loosely. Uh, it's not a liturgical mass. And what he does, he sort of uh, Marsalis, he fashions it based on sort of the general flow and flavor of the black worship experience. Okay? Hmm. And and as as you go through the form, and particularly for me with my roots in the black church, as you go through the form of it, you can see uh, all of those different marks in the in the service. You know, like mm. okay, this is when they're getting ready. This is you know the prayer. This is what this sounds like. And and he he involves uh, not just the choir in that in, in many ways. He, he involves the, the orchestra as well, the big band as well. You know, there are some moments where they're doing call and response. Uh, hmm. You know, the first the first uh, little lick that we do at the beginning of this, 
um, has not the instruments responding to us, but us responding to the instruments. There's a ah. solo trombone lick, and then mm-hmm. then the trombone plays a piece, and then we respond. It's call and response. Uh, but but he's got the instrument taking the lead in that, which is really an amazing thing. Wow, very good. And that harkens back to African tradition, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, yeah. that's yeah, yeah. that is part of African musical culture. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Russ, from your point of view as the leader of the of the jazz ensemble, uh, what has this collaboration felt like for you, and and more specifically for your musicians? And and in what ways does this feel very similar, very organically connected to other things you've done versus uh, a venture that feels quite new? It it is quite new for us, it, and and that is because of I mean Dr. Kinchin was talking about it the way the call and response things, and a lot of these usually when the uh, jazz ensemble plays or a big band plays, you start the tune, we play in pulse the entire time, and it's you know I mean this music traditionally uh, in the 1920s was dance music right so there's mm-hmm. this steady continuous pulse and everything, and with with this because it is more mass like and call and response like in many places um the musicians that are in the jazz ensemble are not used to playing you know playing more rubato or having this okay we're just on cue we're going to go to the next section and somebody's going to give one little gesture and we're moving on to the next section and it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly impulse right and that is something that is unfamiliar for for most of my mm. musicians um and and so it, it's <laughs> it's it's really been uh, amazing to watch them it kind of let go of their preconceived notions of what this should be. Mm. You know, it is definitely a learn. It's, it's such a positive learning experience. Um, I'm, I'm sure uh, Dr. Kitchen feels that way for the choirs as well, because it's this interaction that we don't often have. And Dr. Mm. Kitchen and I have been talking about doing something and specifically this piece for the past four or five years. Mm. Ah. Yeah. And it's finally, finally come to fruition. Just but yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing experience. And it, and it, it, you know, there are definitely, pieces that are more traditional big band like where it starts and you know it, it starts and, and stays in pulse but we also have to do a lot more recitative or rubato or something mm-hmm. like that where it's where it's you know and 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 as somebody who plays a lot of small group jazz that's fairly common but in a larger context right. it's not very common yeah. and so and it's and honestly in in the best possible way it's putting some heat on our musicians <laughs> because not everything is going to be conducted exactly as you would imagine it's for them to respond and say okay here it is mm. you know so wow. it's, it's it's really amazing and, and, and we're feeling our heat on the chorus side <laughs> as well <laughs> but it's all a good thing yes and, and people are enjoying it uh, and, and this combines two uh, choral entities. There's the University of Corral, which is more traditional college age, but also members of the Master Singers. Mm. Uh, and and so, so some of those folk are um, maybe more senior than I am. Mm. Okay? <laughs> and, and, they, and they have really embraced this. And I, I had real questions about how they were going to take to it. They really embraced it. And is the style of the singing, I mean, very different? 
jazz-like? Uh, I mean, and and to what extent are you having to remind them this isn't Foray, this isn't Brahms, uh, or 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 is it not, or is it not written in such a way that they have to be using their voices in completely yeah. different ways? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, no, it's it's written in a way that they need to honor the style of the composition by the way they use their voices, and I, I kind of laughed because I thought you know Greg was a fly on the wall in some of my rehearsals, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've got so for example my sopranos who make this incredibly beautiful sound. And, it's, and they do these lines that are very, uh, you know, reminiscent of Puccini and, and, and Verdi and all of that, right? And, and and so I've got to say to them, okay, this is not, this is not opera, so <laughs> you know, we've got to do this differently. <laughs> you know? and, and that's a good thing for them, and especially those people who are seeing themselves going into performing because often going mm. into performing doesn't mean that you, you have a job and you're paid a six-figure salary to do that. You gig, okay? right, right. And, and people will want your services to do different styles, mm. and you have to be adaptable to that. Absolutely. And, and so I think it's, it's real educational for them. Sounds, sounds, sounds fantastic. Providing flexibility. <laughs> you're really, you know, as, as Dr. Kinchin said, it's if you want to go out in the world and work, you need to have these a multitude of skill sets. Mm. And so for our students, this is really, it's an incredibly positive experience because they are developing another side of their musical personality or, or, or you know, gaining more musical knowledge. Right. And having fun doing a great piece of music. And, uh, mm. and I can only imagine just how electrifying this is going to be for the audience who's uh, uh, going to be there. So uh, outline exactly when and where these performances are taking place and what people need to do if they want to attend. Sunday, <laughs> 7 p.m. in Bedford Hall on the W Parkside campus in the Rita. Uh, and Monday, same time, 7 p.m. Um, I believe tickets are $10. Right, right, $10. Uh, and there's a, a five, and I don't want to go through the whole list because I might miss somebody, but there's a $5 markdown for seniors and students, students in school and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, and I should also I also want to mention that we will be joined by four really phenomenal soloists, hmm. three of whom are our alums, ah. and, and the other one's not an alum, but somebody who is a Racine native and comes out of our USD system. So uh, Tiana Sorensen will sing soprano. Renee Owens is going to be our alto. The tenor will be done by Emmanuel Camacho, and the bass will be sung by Yesu Larti. Very good. We're real proud of those folks. Yeah, of course. And are these two performances going to be essentially identical? I'm kind of guessing. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. we hope so. Yeah, we hope so. <laughs> but I mean, but I mean, the the thing about jazz is, uh, you know, what exactly unfolds is not always precisely the same right, thing. Right. Is yeah. it not that kind of jazz? However. Well, yeah. You know, I I would say that in essence it's going to be the same thing. Obviously, when you get into improv, improv is improv, right? And that sort of thing. And, 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 you know, with any concert, even when we do the most classical of things, if you do it twice, mm. <laughs> you know, there are some different energies that are at work in, in both performances, you know, for better or for worse, you know. So. Right. <laughs> and the improvisation plays a big role. And in, in, in so, yes, the performances will be different. Um, I'm actually playing. I don't often play with the, the, the jazz ensemble. I'd like ah. to keep my role as an, as an educator. But I'm, I'm going to be filling Winton's chair <laughs> for this. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, the the improvisation will make make the two performances you know very different, but the structure of the piece will remain the same. Sure. 
Sounds like a wonderful delight, a real treat uh, for people to enjoy the Abyssinian Mass of Wynton Marcellus with the choral and jazz forces of the University of Wisconsin Parkside joining forces in what promises to be a really exciting collaboration. Russ Johnson, James Kinchin, great to talk uh, with both of you about this exciting undertaking at Parkside coming up Sunday and Monday, 7 p.m. Best wishes to you and all of your musicians. Thank you. Thank Thanks you, Greg. To be here. Thank, Thank you. you.